All right. Praise God. The Lord is good. Mercy endures forever. How many of you are glad you're here tonight? It is a good thing to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Our God is faithful, so faithful, so good, so merciful. Amen. Okay, we're, uh, Ben said you got through the end of 1 Timothy 1, so we're going to pick up with uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thank you, Ben, for being faithful to cover for me when I'm not here. I kind of enjoy being able to be off uh, some of the times on Wednesday night, and I know Brother Ben does an excellent job, so it's a good thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for your word. Your word is life and healing and restoration to us. And Lord, I pray for divine Holy Spirit revelation and understanding according to your word And, Father, I pray that you would enlighten our mind. And, Lord, where we're dull of hearing or where our hearts are not open, I pray, Father, our hearts would become open and that our hearts would become soft and tender towards you. I thank you, Father, for your great mercy, great kindness. And, Lord, I just ask you for your help. I need your help. I need your strength, Lord. I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to open up the Scriptures that we might truly understand what your Word says. We bless the name of the Lord tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, let me talk just a minute about the context uh, and purpose for Second Timothy. Paul had had a lot of uh, people to desert him. He had had a lot of people swayed by the false teachers. And he had lost some faithful, uh, he even mentions a few of them. He mentions some of the, the ones that had gone astray. And so, actually the whole Second Timothy is his effort to impart to Timothy everything that he would need because he knows that Timothy's going through battles. Um, Paul went through hardships and battles. You go through hardships and battles. Is that right? Is there anybody in here that does not go through hardships? I didn't think so. Let me just remind you of some of the hardships that Paul talks about. He lists them uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. He talks about some of his hardships. He says this, he says, Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped Times without number, faced death again and again. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rocks. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. 
I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the city, danger in the desert, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. And I've worked long, hard and long, and doing many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me long. And besides all this... I have to take care of the church. (laughs) I have the daily burden of my concern for all the church. So, he went through hardships too. And the name of this message, we're really just going to cover probably the first 14 verses of 2 Timothy 2. I call it enduring hardships because... Some of the hardships we go through are because of our own foolish choices. Some of the hardships we go through are because of the enemy and his attack against us. Because he wants us to shipwreck. He wants us to walk back. He wants us to give up. And sometimes God is at work in us, testing us and proving us and uh, you might say, cleansing impurities out. You know, that's the way impurities get out is through the fire being turned up. And when it gets to a certain heat, it burns out the impurities. So there, if there's somebody that says, well, I know, I know the one reason why we go through hardships. Well, I don't think that's quite accurate because I think there are a lot of reasons. I think there are they come from different places. But the key is, is when we go through hardships, and we will, how do we endure those hardships so that God gets glory and that we don't give up, so that we don't fold and walk away? And kind of underwritten here, Paul had lost some faithful people under him, he did not want to lose Timothy. He did not want Timothy to burn out, to give up, to turn, throw in the towel while going through hardships. So he's, he gives us some insight, I think, as to how we are to endure hardships. And now it becomes some valuable information for us. So we're going to read verse 1 through 14, then we're going to go back and kind of dissect it and look at some things that I feel like the Holy Spirit can speak to us because we're going to, we're going to, you're not going to go through all things he went through, but you will go through some of them. All right, let's read 1 to 14. My, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, or they, then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you to understand all of these things. 
And always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and I've been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. Boy, don't you love that? The word of God cannot be chained. You can chain me. (laughs) You can chain a person, but you cannot chain the word of God. It goes forward. It cannot be contained, chained, held down. The word of God endures forever. Amazing. Love that. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Interesting. Interesting way to conclude that portion. Okay, let's go back and let's think about things that he said. And if you notice, there were some... He did mention the whole idea of enduring, going through hardships. Um, But if we're to pick things that he said in there that would give us a key, you know... very first thing that jumped out at me was verse 1 when he, when he said, uh, My dear son, be strong through the what? Grace. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, sometimes we gloss over the word grace and we forget that God's grace. Now, I know there are two primary meanings of the word grace. One is his unmerited favor. He gives us grace even though we don't deserve it. But the even more important understanding of grace is his sustaining, abiding strength that lives in us. It is his grace, his strength that gets us through every day. And he starts out by saying, It is the grace of God. We are strong through his grace. And it is a truth that you cannot do it on your own. You know, some people say, well, just pull up your bootstraps and, you know, try harder. And I want to tell you, that doesn't work. Because it indicates that you're going in your strength. You can't just try harder And expect to make it. Because trying harder is trying harder in your ability. And you have to go in his ability. So that becomes the key. Is if I'm going to endure hardship. I'm going to have to learn how to tap into his grace. His his abiding strength in us. That gets us through every day. A couple of verses. Uh, I want us to look at when we're talking about his grace. 
there actually, boy, there's so many verses that talk about this, uh, all through really the New Testament. A couple of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, it says this. It says, but whatever I am now, it is all because God has poured out, I love that, poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet, it was not I, but God who was working through me by His grace. So, He was working, and He was a hard worker. But He understood something, that it really wasn't Him working. Uh, You know, one one time, um, they asked... C.S. Uh, Spurgeon was a famous preacher. They said, how do you do all that you do? Because he had an amazing work schedule and preaching schedule. And his response was so profound. He said, you, rem- you forget that there are two of us. And he was talking about him, but it was talking about God's working in him that gave him the strength. Uh, and that's exactly what it talked about here. Another passage in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, 9. Probably remember this. It says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. He's talking about a, a, a usually referred to a thorn in the flesh. Each time he or the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So... Now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ, that's the grace, the power of Christ can work through me. So that when it talks about the power of God working in us or his strength working in us, it is referring to that word grace. It is God's grace, his power, his strength, his ability working in us. And the quicker you recognize you cannot do this on your own strength. If you think you can do it on your strength, then he will let you try. (laughs) But then you will fail. And you have to come back to that place where say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do it. A couple other passages. Uh, And and this is kind of interesting. Um, It kind of gives you a little insight into Paul as a person. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.10, it says, For his his letters, they say, they're talking about Paul, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Uh, There was a book written in the 2nd century. Um, The name of the book was called Acts of Paul and Thecla. And in that book... It described the only, there's, of course, there's no photographs of Paul, but it describes Paul and it gives us the only physical description. It says this, it says, small in size, ball-headed, bandy legs, well-built, eyebrows that meet, long nose, and full of grace. Now, to me, it sounds like a, a cross between George Costanza and Vin Diesel. Uh, you'd have to know who George Costanza is <laughs> to know that. But uh, and here in Second in Corinthians, 
it, it tells us that he's weak in appearance. So short, kind of heavy set, bald, uh, heavy set, you know, well built, big long nose, <laughs> but full of grace. And he, he came in the power and the might of the Lord. So it wasn't his great imposing physical features that had a great influence on people. It was the power and the grace and the strength of God working in him that had such... I mean, this was a man who wrote over half of the epistles in the New Testament and whose thousands upon thousands of churches are still reading his letters 2,000 years later. This man has influenced millions and millions of Christians. And he wasn't some guy that obviously everybody was enthralled with as far as the way he looked. But he was mighty in grace. He learned the secret of depending upon his ability. And in a moment I'm going to ask you what you believe is the secret to you learning to tap into his strength. Um, Another, uh, two more scriptures. Ephesians 6.10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And if there's similar uh, verse in Ephesians 3.16, it says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, I love this, he will empower you with his inner strength through his spirit. So looking at all those passages, there is no doubt that Paul understood what he meant when he said to Timothy, you can endure hardship because you're in his grace. So let me ask you, how can you best appropriate, tap into, walk in God's strength instead of your own. Anybody? What's that? Stay in his presence? Okay, maybe elaborate. What do you mean by stay in his presence? Okay, spending time with him. All right. I agree with that. Spending time in his word, spending time in worship and praise. Anybody else? Yes, Tina, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. And and literally, as as you meditate on it, as you sing it, as you read it, as you think about it, it's it's really amazing as you, I, I want to say the word absorb, the word of God, his strength comes upon you. And it is so true, exactly what she says. Um, and it is good to be in his presence, to spend time with him, to worship him. But there is something so powerful just hearing and reading you know, my, my wife and I have a, a habit that when we go on trips, uh, we have long since given up uh, trying to listen to the radio because we can never find anything that's edifying. 
So since I'm nearly always driving, uh, my wife thinks I always have to be in control. I don't know why she thinks that. Um, but she reads the Word. Um, and, you know, when we first start, you know, I ask her, I say, okay, what's the Word of the Lord today? And she'll get out her Bible and she will just begin. She'll have something picked out and she'll read one, two, three, maybe four or five chapters. Uh, and then we'll talk about those. And what do, what do you think about that? And we'll go back and forth discussing it. But I've always been amazed that even while I'm driving down the middle, driving down the road, as she reads the Word of God, it is still, you can still feel the power, the anointing. And it, it I guess a way, it's almost like His strength surges in us as we receive the Word of God. It's amazing. And, you know, that is not by chance. Now, if you're here today and you think, I, I just don't believe that, then probably you do not spend very much time in the Word. Not condemning you. I'm just simply saying, if you don't think that's true, then you haven't tried it on a consistent basis. So I want to challenge you. Allow, find some way. If you don't like to read, get it on tape or get it on CD or uh, something, someone to read it to you. Sing it. Meditate on it. Study it. Read it. When I read it all by myself, when I'm out on the sun porch in the morning uh, and I'm reading the Word, I've gotten to where I do not like to read silently. I like to read out loud, even though I'm the only one. I'm all by myself. Uh, you know, I like to read it out loud because I like two senses going on at the same time. My eyes are seeing it, but my ears are hearing. And it says, faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. So I've got two things going on. I'm hearing it and I'm seeing it. And, and you know, my, our little dog Carly sits on my lap and he'll just look up at me and just, you know, I always want to know, you know, if this maybe this dog needs to get saved just by hearing the word of God. You know, because he just looks at me like, you know, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, But still, it is so powerful. If you want to tap into his strength, be in the word in some way. And I will add to that the acknowledgement that we can't do it. The acknowledgement that we can't do it. I love what it says in Second uh, Chronicles 20, verse 12. It says, Oh, our God, won't you stop them? I believe this is Hezekiah. We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. And I, that was the most powerful thing he could have done was to say i don't know what we're going to do if he would have said i've got this plan god and i've got all this worked out and i've got the fortress built and i've got my men lined up and and i think i can handle it uh and if we can't would you mind coming and helping us he's better to say i don't have any idea what i'm going to do I am helpless, Lord. I cannot do this. 
But my eyes are on you. And so if you're fighting a battle, I don't care what battle it is. Battle against temptation. Sexual temptation. Anger. Jealousy. Whatever the battle you're facing. There's some strength in tapping into his strength when you're able to say, Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. It's like you you get God's attention when he hears that. I can't do it. I need your help. I need your strength. I can't make it. Powerful. Okay, the second thing I want us to look at, uh, besides his grace, and that is... We continue to pass on the truth. Now, look look what he says uh, in verse 2 of 2 Timothy 2. He says this. He said, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. In other words, you heard me say all these things. And what I've told you have come by reliable witness, witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able able to pass them on to others. So do you see the progression here? Jesus has spoken this, and we know he spoke it by many reliable witnesses, and he gave it to Paul. So now Paul is saying, I want to give it to you, but I don't want it to die there. I want you to give it to some others who will give it to some others who will give it to some others. That is the way the Word of God transfers. It's the way Jesus turned the world upside down. He imparted to His apostles the truths, and those truths were passed on to others, to others, to others. Now, there there are... Three ways that we're going to impart truth. There's going to be the large crowds, but not everybody's called to speak to large crowds. There's the small classes, you might say. A lot of people can teach small classes, life groups, small group. But then there's the the one-on-one, the one-on-two. There's the encouragement. Uh, I'll use an analogy that Brother Ben will appreciate. You've got the drivers, you've got the irons, and you've got the putters. Everybody know what game I'm in? Yeah. And so the iron, excuse me, the drivers, that's, that's for the large, that's the large crowds. And the irons are, you might say, the classes, but the putters, that's one-on-one. That's what we call mentoring. That's what me, means when we get alone with one or two or three people and we just pour our life out to those individuals. And you change lives when you impart your life into their life. We, uh, ben and I got to go to a pastor's legislative briefing in Baton Rouge yesterday um, there was a prayer breakfast, uh, but we didn't go to that, but we made the past pastor's briefing, uh, legislators and some congressmen were there. And they had an amazing, they did a panel on criminal justice. And I want to tell you, I was fascinated, unbelievable. 
they talked about the criminal justice restoration process, uh, reentry process of prisoners in Louisiana that is unlike any program in the entire United States. And they are having an amazing success. This panel had a judge, had the warden of the prison, had a pastor who was the largest, he was a pastor of the largest church in Angola. And he was in for life. He was serving a life sentence, but he was the pastor of the largest church. And we didn't realize this. He got his seminary degree in Angola. Because Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary has a seminary in Angola. And he got his degree, and he's the pastor of the larger church. They have like five or six churches in Angola. And then they had a man who was from Prison Fellowship, Chuck Colson's ministry. And he used to be a politician who started dealing drugs, who got caught and went from being a politician to being in prison, (laughs) and God changed his heart, restored his life, and now he is involved in this whole criminal justice reentry program. And Ben and I just, we were, I I was, of course, it's been on my heart anyway. I've been praying about this and wanting to have something and do something and be involved and helping guys that come out of prison because it's so tough for them to get re-entry into life, uh, to come back into life and to get a job and have a place to stay. Uh, and they are doing just some amazing things as that re-entry program. Um, and, and I thought, and they kept talking about how much one-on-one mentoring had to go on for the lives of these men to be changed. And it's really exactly what he talks about here. Pass the truths on that God has for you. And pass it on to somebody else who will pass it on to somebody else. And I'll say this. Don't let the truth that God has in you die with you. Whatever truth God has parted in you, don't let it die with you. Pass it on. The reason God has put truth into you is not to bless you. It is that. But He blesses us and imparts truth and insight so that we would impart it to someone else, so that they would impart it to someone else, so that they would... And it just goes on and on and on and on. It's the way the gospel spreads. And so I want to encourage you. This word, you may read this talking about, you know, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. You may say, well, that's talking about pastors. That's talking about leaders in church. No, this is talking about every believer in Jesus Christ. Every person in here has a responsibility to take the truth that God has placed in you and to give that to other people and to mentor, help, teach, instruct, other people, with the understanding that you're going to help them come to a place where they can impart it to someone else. And if we will do that, the gospel will spread. The gospel will go forward. And, and I find it interesting 
and powerful that Paul is saying, if we're going to endure hardship, that's one thing. But we can't stop imparting truth just because we're enduring hardship. Lots of people say, well, hold it. I thought this Christian life was going to be comfortable. I thought this was going to be easy. I, you know, and if I'm going to endure hardship, then I'm just going to shut down and make it through the hardship. And then when the hardship is over, then I'll get busy for you, God. No, I think the principle here is that even though we're going through hardship, we continue to pass on the truth. Why? The gospel needs to go forward. And it is an unrealistic expectation that Christian life is designed to be comfortable or easy. It is never comfortable or easy. And the third thing I see here, and this is more direct talking about this, be ready to endure suffering for the gospel. Be ready to endure suffering. Let's look at this next couple of passages in verse 3 and 4, 2 Timothy. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life where then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. So he's about to use three analogies. The first one is a soldier, uh, a soldier. Trained soldier, probably using the Roman uh, idea of a soldier. And then he talks about an athlete, you know, a disciplined athlete. And then he talks about a hardworking farmer. So he uses three separate analogies to encourage us to be willing to endure suffering. And the thing about a soldier, you know, and, and Paul uses the whole idea of us being soldiers uh, several times, actually, through the New Testament. It's one of his, one of his favorite analogies. And the thing of it is, is that he probably is relating to the Roman soldier because if you look through history, the Roman soldier was considered to be one of the most disciplined soldiers and rarely were defeated in battle. And they always acknowledged it because they were so disciplined. And it's spoken of them that they were as disciplined in their everyday life as they were in battle. Because the training thought was, is that if they're disciplined in everyday life, whether they're carrying out the trash or doing a simple menial task, if they're disciplined there, then they'll be disciplined in battle. And so Paul is taking that same mentality that we need to think in terms of like a soldier. And then he makes a kind of an unusual comment that uh, as a soldier, we can't get entangled in the affairs of this life. I don't know how you relate that or how you interpret that. But to me, it's, he's saying, don't get bogged down in trivial affairs so much so that it hinders the focus of what you're here to do. I don't know if you've, uh, you know, some of my favorite movies is, uh, uh, y'all ever see The Longest Day? World War II movie. Yeah, y'all, y'all not World War II buffs. Anyway, uh, but in that, John, John Wayne was in there. And in that movie, uh, John Wayne, he commands one of his soldiers to go get some ammo. They're fighting the enemy. They're running alone ammo. So he sends this guy and he says, 
we're low on ammo. You've got to go go to the ammo depot and don't delay. Get right back. And that guy goes and he gets the ammo. And about halfway back, he has to jump in a foxhole because the shell is there. And the guy's offering some coffee. And he sits down and he drinks a little coffee. And he starts talking with them. And he starts shooting the bull and starts... You know, talking about this, that, and the other. And, and then before you know it, some time has passed. And they say, oh, okay, well, i got to go. And then he gets up and he goes on and he gets back to where he's supposed to go. And the men who he was supposed to get the ammo to, they're all dead. And John Wayne looks at him and says, where were you? They ran out of ammo. Where were you? And he had no, ex- he had no answer. And I thought about this passage. You can't get diverted. You've got to recognize we're in a battle. We are in a battleground. You may not think you're in a battle, but I guarantee you that the enemy believes we're in a battle. And he treats every day like a battlefield. And he would love to defeat you and destroy you every day. So I encourage you, take that analogy. We're like a soldier. And we have to look at Every day is a battlefield. The second analogy, an athlete. Now, I, I'm not going to relate real well because I'm not much of an athlete. Um, I run to the refrigerator, but I, I don't run a whole lot. Because um, I've heard of all these athletes, they're running and they get killed by car wrecks and they die of heart attacks. So, um, But I do understand the idea that you've got to be disciplined. And that if you're going to be an athlete... But look at this passage here. It's in verse 5. An athlete cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Interesting. Anybody want to guess why he ties that in? He says we've got to be like an athlete. But then he says, but an athlete, we can't win the prize unless we run by the rules. Anybody? What do you think? I think that's I think that's as simple. Uh, I don't think he's talking about legalism or anything. I think he's just talking about we're going to have to follow the word of God. This is what God's word says is the way of life, and we're going to have to go that way. And especially since there were a lot of false teachers that were going away from the word of God, and they were going out in left field because they weren't staying with the word of God. I think that was another reason why he was saying we're going to have to be like an, an athlete who follows the rules who listens to the Word of God and follows and goes along with, with, with God's Word. I think I would tend to agree with that. Um, so, so just as a matter of a question, what do you think are some ways that we could get entangled? What are ways that things that can uh, entangle us? I know we're kind of going back to the uh, the soldier again, but... I wanted to hear, what do you think are some things that can trip us up and we can kind of get entangled? Anybody, what, what do you think? What are some things that trip us up? What do you think? Okay, thinking about the things of the world, all right. Yes. And using that analogy, it said that 
that he sowed the seed, but the seed came up quickly, but the soil wasn't very deep, and it died quickly. And then it said others, it came up, but it got choked out by the weeds, which were the cares of this world. You know, and I know we have things we have to do, responsibilities in life, but you can't get bogged down in those things so much so that you miss your purpose. You miss your calling. You miss the reason we're here. We're here to give glory and honor to the Lord and to lift up His name. And so whatever it is, you know, you can't get bogged down. And it's not saying some of those things are bad things, but if they're things that take you away from God's Word, they take you away from church, they take you away from your main calling then those, quote, good things become bad. Does that make any sense to you? Now, I, I remember talking with someone once. They um, they just stopped coming to church, and and they had several kids. And and they and I said, you know, I saw them somewhere, and I said, man, we missed you. And, yeah, I know, but we I've got to take this one. We've got to go to soccer practice, and we've got to go take this one. We've got piano practice, and we've got this one. We got and, and and by the time you know, I was tired by the time they talked about all the places they had to go and all the things they had to do and all the practices they had. And I said, you know, all those things are great, but if it causes your whole family to walk away from God and the local church, are they really that important? And and you know, it's just kinda like I think maybe they probably didn't appreciate what I said. But I really think what I said was the truth. Uh, it might have probably stepped on the toes, but it's still, you have to really weigh. Because we could be busy doing good things all the time and not ever have time for God. We could get so busy with all these things and never have time for God. And what would you have? Kind of like Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? What good does it do it if your kids are in every sports program in the world, but they don't know Jesus? I probably stepped on some toes tonight, but that's all right. You love me. I know you love me. And then the last analogy is hard work and farmer. Now, some people, if you couldn't relate to the soldier, and you couldn't relate to the athlete, you can relate to the, the farmer. And the whole idea, look what he says here. He said, we will reap a good harvest. I lost it. Oh, oh verse 6. Here we go. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand, understand all these things. So uh, we are able to re- enjoy the fruit of our labor. And I think the idea there is that if we're going to endure suffering, we have to think in terms of a hardworking farmer. And a farmer is always sowing seed. And if you will sow, guess what happened? You will reap a good harvest. In time, you will reap a good harvest. We don't get focused on the harvest. Our focus is on sowing seed, but we will reap a good harvest. See, if you will sow into people's lives, you will reap a good harvest. And I think that's the reason. Each of those three analogies, you know, the, the soldier, I think, was we need to be disciplined. The athlete, 
Uh, we're always training. We're always working hard. We're always getting ourselves ready, but we have to run according to the rules. We have to do it according to the Word of God. And the hardworking farmer is we will reap a good harvest. So each analogy had a purpose in understanding what we have to do to endure uh, hardships. And the last thing I want us to see here, and, and that is never forget who you're serving. Never forget who you're serving. Look at verse 8. He says this. He says, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I, good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. In other words, he said, Remember, it's all about Jesus. Why do we do what we do? It's Jesus. Why do we serve? Why do we train like an athlete? Why do we work like a hardworking farmer? Why do we endure suffering? Jesus. It's what he did for us. He died on the cross for us. We are eternally grateful for our salvation, our relationship with God. And because our focus is on Jesus then we do whatever we do. And I just want to encourage all of us, you know, and of course I, I love this faithful saying. Um, I don't know, maybe it was like a hymn or a chorus or something, um, but he says this, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we're going to live with him. And I think the reference there probably is a reference that we die to ourself, uh, we die to our old nature, uh, and, and if we're willing to die to our own ways, then we will live with him. So there's the crucifying of the flesh. If we endure hardship, we're going to reign with him. If we deny him, and this is kind of a word of encouragement, you need to understand if you walk away from God and you deny him, he's going to deny you. And that's very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 10. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. But then a powerful verse in verse 13 says, If we are unfaithful, <laughs> he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. I love that. And, and it's, it relates to the fact that even if you mess up, he's still faithful. And I was, had a conversation with uh, one of the APOR guys before the service. And we were just talking about the whole issue of how God is committed to you. You walk away from God. You turn your back on God. And you decide, I, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm not interested in God. I want you to understand something. God is still after you. He is going to be on your case. He is going to be after you. And you may go so far away from God that you don't want to turn around. But you will never go so far that God won't forgive you. Does that make any sense to you? You may bring yourself to a place where you just feel like you can't repent. But as far as God is concerned, He's ready to receive you. I, I don't care how far down the bottom of the barrel you get. God is ready to restore you. And I've had people say, you know, I just don't have a, 
I don't have that feeling. I don't have that emotion. I don't have any compassion. I don't have any desire to repent. I want to tell you, if you reach that point, cry out to God and say, God, I want you to touch me. You know, Matthew 24.10 warns us that in the last days, it says men's heart hearts would grow cold. And to me, that's, there's no scarier, frightful thing than for our heart to grow cold. But here's the good news. Even if your heart grows cold, if you will say, God, help my heart. Help me. Change my heart. I don't feel conviction, but Lord, I want to feel conviction. I want to have a heart after you. I want to tell you, God will hear your prayer. And it's like an invitation for God to begin working on that old hardened heart, that old hardened heart that can grow cold. It's a searing of the conscience is what it is. But a seared conscience can be renewed. But you have to invite him. You have to ask him. You have to begin to say, God, kind of like that, the, the, the guy in the Bible, he said, Lord, help my unbelief. God, help my unbelief. I, I have a hard time believing, but Lord, help my unbelief. When you'll cry out to God, God, help my heart to have a hunger for you. If you'll do that, God will change your heart. I'd like for us to pray tonight that, that God would give us the heart to be willing to endure hardship like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer, but most of all, that we do it for the right reason. That is to bring honor to Him. Why don't you just come stand to your feet if you would. Maybe just join in raising your hands in obedience and surrender to Him and just saying, Oh God, uh, here I am. And, and just, just, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, hear our hearts, Lord. I give my heart to You. I desire, Lord... For you to work in my heart. Help me Lord. To be willing. To endure hardship. And difficulties. And still love you Lord. With all of my heart. Thank you Father. Help us to enjoy your grace. Your strength. Help us to abide in your word. And to strengthen us Lord. Thank you Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.